Welcome to Lose the Gut Podcast. It's the only podcast you'll need to have the information to lose the gut and get asked the first time in your life. I can help you do this by teaching you through mindset, nutrition, and training because these are three core fundamentals that you'll need. So let's go dive in today's episode. All right, today we're gonna to talk about our hydration drinks worth it. If you're getting your daily water intake, what kinds are good, what kinds to stay away from, if recommended, when should you have them during the day, how many sleep is good? I'm pretty sure the question was like, how many hours of sleep is good? Is it good to take melatonin to sleep? Good choices of snacks. It's important to have protein right after workout. Mind muscle cues, chest edition. That is one I threw in there because I want to make sure that we are staying atop of these mind muscle cues because I realize every time I do do them or kind of mention them, I get a lot of thanks to them. I make a mind muscle connection video. It just seems to click with my audience a lot more. So I'm just going to throw that in here. Once again, because maybe there's one person that hasn't heard these cues or two people, three people, four people, always good to bring it back up because these cues honestly fucking changed my life. All right. So first one right away, hydration drinks. Hydration drinks can be great. I don't personally take them in this kind of aspect. I do have one from a particular kind of brand. They sent me a, what quite a while ago. They could work if let's just say... Because actually, let's go back to hydration drinks. So basically, two things help keep you more hydrated. It's not just the water. It's having enough salt in your body and potassium. Because if you don't have enough salt in your body and potassium, then all that we're drinking, all the water we're taking in is not exactly useless, but it's not as effective, right? So kind of just get shuttled in there and shuttled out. So it goes straight in the bathroom, straight out of there. But when you have potassium, also the salt itself, we're actually feeling more hydrated. We're going to get more of the effects in this kind of aspect, and it's going to be a lot better. Now, the thing with hydration drinks is they have a little bit of electrolytes in there to kind of help with that kind of same effect, help you keep more hydrated over there. But yeah, it's basically salt, potassium is what kind of electrolytes are in terms of hydration drinks. So this is why also coconut water is a very popular. It's a good hydration drink because it has those two kind of elements, a little bit of salt, a little bit of potassium over there. So when it comes to hydration drinks, I typically don't really kind of recommend them or actually I don't not recommend them, but I don't take them kind of personally because they're pretty much almost like a waste of vitamin, right? So if you get enough potassium, also salt your foods, pretty much I salt all my meals themselves, especially my pre-workout meal. I make sure to add even more salt so it already goes for like a graph perspective or like an actual quantifiable measurement. I probably take about a quarter teaspoon of salt before my workout. And that's usually when I perform workouts. I'd have a quarter teaspoon of the salt to help me stay more hydrated. Now, when it comes to potassium, yes, potassium is one of those harder ones to get in the free diet, um, depending on what kind of food you eat. But if you're eating like sweet potatoes, potatoes, yellow fresh potatoes, those are super high in potassium, even higher than what bananas. They have way more potassium than bananas, gram for gram, and you get a lot more potassium for less calories to as well. So, those two combined absolutely will help you out get you lots more now if you want straight potassium you could use cream of tartar so that is a powder over there that if you want just a little strip potassium over there that's literally what it is it's using some baking cream of tartar so you could search that one up but yeah hydration drinks i feel like they're overrated on this kind of aspect and they're not really worth the money that's kind of the bottom line over there when it comes down to hydration drinks i know right now Gatorade and I think Prime are the two leading competitors when it comes to hydration drinks. But as long as you get enough salt, lots of potassium through your diet, or the supplementation, you get a supplement with it in like a pill form, you are good. 
All right. So with that being said, if you're also drinking like three or four liters of water per day, you don't really have much kind of salt in your body or potassium over there. You actually might be slightly dehydrated because you're lacking those uh, minerals. All right. So how many hours of sleep is good? So I would say seven to nine hours is great in this kind of aspect. Now, if you're waking up like more than three or more times per night, then that's a problem too as well. Because I personally have sleep apnea. I use a CPAP machine to kind of make sure that I get a good quality sleep. And yes, sleep apnea is something that I have to deal with because my personal biology, my throat's very small. And that's a genetic thing being an Asian. And that's what I've been told from them. So that's a problem with me. Now, I know a lot of people, A, if they're more heavier obese or just big bodybuilders because of lower mass, also have sleep apnea just because they're big structure, but I'm not like that, that big and it shouldn't be bothering me, but yeah, just my genetic structure is not great for that kind of aspect. So sleep is important, but also not waking up and having good quality sleep is very important, right? So if you're waking up a lot, or if let's say you wake up in the morning, you always kind of feel tired. You definitely want to get a sleep test because you might have sleep apnea and sleep apnea is a lot more common for people than you might think. I personally went to a sleep clinic like twice now. Also saw an ENT, saw some ears, no throat specialist. And I actually did another follow-up visit, I think it was two days ago, or no, last week. Yeah, like four days ago. And I actually got disapproved for surgery because of my condition and like how much tissue there is in the back of my throat. They don't really think uh, removing my throat tissue enough would make a difference. So the only option besides CPAP was potentially going to like a dentist and getting something on my mouth to position my job board. So I can kind of help out there. So that's literally my only options. Unfortunately, I really tried to go down the surgery route so I don't have to deal with the machine or any of that. But having a good quality sleep makes a tremendous difference in your recovery, your hormones, how you feel day to day, more energy wise. Because once I got back on the CPAP machine, because I didn't have it for a while, uh, my old luggage bag when I was traveling to Australia and I thought it's going to live there for the rest of life, they lost my luggage completely. And that's where my old CPAP machine was. So I actually didn't use it for a good little while. And now that I'm using it once again, readily, I feel so much better. So much more energy, a lot better work performance steps are going up to as well. And I just feel like I got a good night's sleep. And it was, it's incredible. All right. So melatonin, I would say melatonin, a lot of people kind of overdose on this one. So I would recommend smaller ones, like one milligram of anything. Now I've been guilty of using like up to like 15 milligrams of 10 safely. Now the problem with that one is once you up those dosages kind of a lot, your body has like a new adjusted, I'd say dosage. So you kind of need more and more and more to get that effect. But having that slight, slight bit of melatonin in you can help you kind of fall asleep just a little bit faster over there and it kick things off without sleeping. That's why I recommend one milligram really if you're ever using it. I personally haven't used it in a good little while. I know before I was, and I was definitely dosing up hard over there with the 15 milligrams because my girlfriend at the time, she was like, yeah, she tried 15 milligrams a little heavily. This is when I was like bodybuilding crap and really, really trying to get a decent night's sleep because I was waking up like 12 to 15, 16 times a night to pee and just being bodybuilding crap, super deprived over there. It's it's like a normal byproduct of just being that lean. That's why I'm not going to be that lean this time around because there's a little big trade-off looking that fucking shredded for me over there and how much it feels. So right now, I'm like one... 92.2 pounds. So I'm just going to drop down to like two pounds because at this point in my cut over there, dropping pretty much usually below the 190 mark, it's a huge trade off. So I had to do a lot more cardio, start my energy levels are a lot lower, 
And also I think about food a lot more and I have to do so much more just to get that extra bit of fat off because my body really wants to stay at that place. So I feel a lot more energy deprived, think about food a lot more and, um, yeah, I have to do a lot more cardio. I really want to get towards that next level. This kind of aspect and just overall my quality of life is not that great because I would have a hard time focusing on other stuff like that. So it's kind of like a trade-off, but going back to that part and the sleep is also not great too as well at that time because your body's a lot more starved and we wake up a lot more, we pee a lot more too as well because you're just drinking a lot more water just to fill yourself up and kind of feel a little bit more full because you're restricted calories. So yeah, it's a big trade-off and going back to from the part of sleep wise and the sleep is very, very, very bad. I want to budget it prep really getting to those final weeks, especially last like six weeks. Terrible. All right. So that was a little bit of a sidetrack to that one. But yeah, melatonin, one milligram. That's just what I recommend over there. Seven to nine hours of quality sleep. Wake up three or more times per night. You might need to do a little sleep test or get yourself kind of checked over there, see if anything will do. Unless you're pretty much using a lot of blue lights prior to your sleep. So on a blue light, it's here on your phone. There's a blue light setting to his wall. You can switch it up. I have it off. My laptop, I have it off pretty much all day to his wall, 24 hours, just because I'm on there all the time. So I just don't want that to begin with. And I watch my TV. I use blow light walking glasses because I don't think there's a setting to produce that blue light. So with that being said, if you have a lot of blue lights, it can definitely affect your sleeping cycle and how your quality of sleep is, how long it takes you to go to sleep because blue light stimulates like the sun, right? It's like, okay. All right, when you see the sun, you're more awake in those kind of aspects as it hits the same brain stars in those kind of different ways. So that's like, okay, well, it's, you know, sun outside, we should not be sleeping. So that's kind of what it does. So it affects that quite a bit. And also if you kind of sleep with a lot of light on more towards like, let's say 6, 6 p.m. a lot of words, 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. with a lot of lights on, that's going to affect your quality sleep too as well, just because like your brain signals, it's going to be like, okay, it's more like daytime because you have all these lights kind of blasting. That's why people more like dimmer lights or I travel lights just have like one little more dimmer lights well, above what I'm on right now. So I could really get my body primed to sleep, right? There's a lot of different things. Also like eating, I would say at least, I would like three hours before you go to bed. I kind of cut off eating over there. If you eat too close to bedtime, you could have your quality sleep affected too as well. So hopefully that covers all of that. Good choices of snacks. So snacking is something I don't recommend to begin with. Because snacking usually is a point where you're not actually hungry. You're just kind of eating something to eat something, right? That's pretty much the whole thing with a snack is let's just say, I only have like a 10 minute break at work or five minutes over there. Nobody eats a snack to really feel like full or satiated over there. It's snack to do something. It's a snack to fill in the time gap itself, right? It's a snack to, or again, for some people, have like a, almost like a guilty pleasure kind of satisfy those dopamine rushes, right? So in the case of a snack over there, I actually don't recommend having snacks in that quote unquote term, right? I would actually have the full meals. So I'm not going to go into the snack kind of portions over there because of that. I mean, if you consider like Greek yogurt and protein powder itself, like a snack, something smaller there. Yeah, sure. But I consider more of that meal. I mean, snack could be also depending on the size of the thing. So with that being said, I'd rather treat that as like a meal, have more of it, but for longer and, you know, have more protein in that too as well. So if we're going that route, I would say like Greek yogurt, kind of like protein powder, or if you have, and let's just say, uh, what was the other one? Chia pro- protein, chia seed pudding. So that way you mix chia seeds, almond milk and protein powder over there could be great. Or 
Yeah. So that's, I guess, like two little snacks or I guess beef jerky, if you consider the context of, I don't know, you're at an airport and you're kind of really, really hungry over there or you're kind of traveling and you, you are generally hungry. So beef jerky is be a nice little snack over there. Make sure you don't have the ones with a lot of sugar, this kind of aspect. So when you do have those two as well, maybe get like a sh- sugar-free gel if you're truly trying to fill yourself up with a protein shake on the side or something like that. So I'm not going to dive too much down to roll it, grab the whole stacking because I don't recommend that in the first place. But I go into those specific contexts and like that. All right, it's important to have protein right after the workouts. Yes, but probably not as important as you think. So I used to believe in that to me at the work. You literally don't have protein within like 30 minutes of workouts. Your workout is wasted. That is just not the case. Protein is more important after the workout though for sure because your protein synthesis response is a lot higher. So that means if you have protein before the workouts versus after workouts, your response to ingesting protein after workouts can be a lot higher in terms of muscle building and stimulating the repair process. So you can get more out of that one right away just because your muscles are broken down. Now the time of that is within the two hours of your workout. Obviously, I well, for my clients personally, I usually have them do it within the hour. And that kind of aspect, usually one hour after is perfectly fine. Two hours is pretty much the like a good time or like I'm not say cut off exactly, but like you kind of lose or diminish some of those effects of that optimized protein synthesis, basically most of protein at workouts. If you surpass that two hour mark just by a little bit. It's not the end of the world though, still, but protein after the workout would definitely recommend it. And I would say overall. It's very important, not probably as important as you really, really think it is in terms of to the extent of what it would do. All right. Now, my muscle connection cues, chest edition. Now, I really struggle to grow my chest a lot. Now, my chest isn't still the best, but it's grown a lot since day one. And the thing with my personal chest is my genetically, I don't have great insertions. So how my chest is structured, how it looks, it's like a flat diamond. So even when I'm four worked out, my chest is like literally inverted. People was asking me if I had like pigeon's chest, like that was a term where it's like, um, actus vagidone. Some people have asked me if I had that before, um, just because like, that's my fucking genetics acceptable to work with. Basically I told people I had like a negative chest before I started working over there. So that's why I personally, my chest is not the best body part in chest status wise, just because my genetics are not great for my chest. And I really accepted that, but still I'm trying to grow as much as I can. Now, going over some cues that really kind of helped me develop my chest to what it is now, even though it's still not the best, say that, is really two cues. So, one is driving my biceps into the side of my chest. That was one cue that clicked me more recently. And the other one before that really clicked with me when I first started out was when you press up, try to think about touching your elbows together. That was the first one that really, really clicked with me. And I was like, holy shit, right? And then when other guy told me, Drive your biceps side of chest. That one took a little more while, but that one really clicked too as well. They both say activate the same kind of thing. Well, if you think about it, and I want you to actively do it right now if you're listening, which one do you feel it more in chest? So A, put your hands up, press together. Think about touching your elbows together. Do you feel that more? Or B, when I tell you, think about driving your biceps into the side of your chest. Which one do you feel more? Is it A? Is it B? So whichever one you do feel more, Use that cue because that's a cue that's going to help you really develop the chest more. Now, when it comes down to chest fly, chest press, any of these motions, you could use that cue over there. Now, another cue I could use too as well is kicking your chest up nice and high because 
The reason why the chest supply supply is very important, if you don't have your chest supply when you're doing press, fly, or anything like that, your chest is going to sag down. So you're naturally going to be more flat chested, and therefore your shoulders are going to take over. So chest high, think about touching your elbows together. And then on the eccentric is also very important too as well, because a lot of people just kind of let go of the weight, or they can never really feel it on the way down in any motion. So just a couple of different cues I like to use, like on the barbell bench press, I like to think about bending the bar as it come down. So actually bending the bar as they come down over there. Now I'm doing like machine chest press or like, um, no, not the same thing. Yeah, machine chest press, let's go with that one or a cable chest fly. I like to really think about my chest over there. Now when I come back, I let, try to feel it stretch. And then I also try to think about bringing my shoulder blades together more because if I bring my shoulder blades together more, keeping my chest up and high, I feel a deeper stretch in my chest. So on the way back, very important. Two contacts is one is a bar. So think about breaking the bar. If that's a Smith machine or wire belt. Two, if it's a dumbbell or a chest, like a cable fly, or basically something that has two unilateral kind of movements, think about keeping your chest high and bring your shoulder blades together. Now this one, you really want to focus on that chest. And like, if you feel that you lose tension on there, you might you need to rethink that up with your mind over there. I don't have a cue to kind of really get yourself rethinked up. It's just something you have to feel and learn over time. It's like once you feel your chest, you really start to feel that. It's like, okay, you have that feeling in your mind. You're almost trying to like relate to that feeling every time you do a chest motion. It's like how much of that feeling did you kind of feel compared to last time? So it's all relative. All right. So thank you for tuning in to the Lose the Gap podcast and we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Lose the Gut Podcast. If you got value from this one and really learned something, I'd want to take it one further step forward so you can lose the gut and finally get your abs. Just DM me on Instagram at KevinWoo underscore the words gut and we can have a conversation to see if how to help you out. Cheers.